0: Hello, and welcome to the Salisbury Pediatric Associate Health and Wellness Newsletter AudioCast. I am your host, Dr. M, and this is Volume 12, Issue Number 32, which corresponds to the week of July 25th of 2022. In this issue, we're going to talk about bone health, living with disease, and the truth about lying. The song of the week is Annie's Song by John Denver. It's a classic. Give it a listen this morning for some happy thoughts and peaceful feelings. So the podcast is at episode number 24 or podcast number 24, and we're discussing nutrition, microbiome, and the bowel with Dr. Lindsay Albenberg from CHOP in Philadelphia. We get into the many layers of evolving understanding of where the touch points are in the development of dysfunctional microbiome in the gut, and then subsequently inflammatory bowel diseases like Crohn's disease or also colitis. She gives us high quality dietary information based on the current data for how to approach food with children and adults. We delve into COVID-19 a little bit. Overall, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dr. Albenberg. So bone health, what do we know? So as soon as you're conceived, the process of growing new bone begins in the map of the DNA. The first bone cells are noted at the sixth week post-conception. This process continues for many years, peaking as a teenager and beginning to decline in the third decade of life. The peak decline starts in the sixth decade when sex steroids start to decline significantly. The natural process of bone development is very complicated with many hormones like vitamin D and parathyroid, as well as micronutrients necessary for optimal function. For the purposes of this discussion, I will focus on those aspects of bone development and maintenance that are controllable, as that is what matters for us in the long run. As we age, it is imperative that we lay down and maintain as much bone volume as possible. This provides the best starting point for the inevitable declination over time. Osteoblasts are the cells that lay down bone. Osteoclasts are the cells that break down bone. There is a natural balance between these two cell types that allows the human skeletal system to add and remove bone all over the body in response to need following an injury to the bone or other tissue. Think of the coronary arteries of the heart here. Damaged and inflamed coronary arteries will lay down calcium to protect the plaque, which is seen on a coronary calcium CT, a screening tool for heart disease risk or conversely, my shins during my prime soccer years would vacillate between bumpy tibial surfaces and smooth based on shin trauma in game. Osteopenia and osteoporosis are conditions where bone volume has significantly deteriorated to the point of fracture risk based on many dysfunctional lifestyle choices and exposures. The biggest concern with early bone loss is major hip and leg fractures after a fall that predispose humans to early death as they age. Falls are incredibly common cause of accidental death as people age into the seventh decade of life and on. In one study, the authors noted that the excess mortality following a hip fracture was very high, with a hazard ratio of 2.78 in the year following the injury in individuals over 60 years of age. This comes to us from Katsoulis, K-A-T-S-O-U-L-I-S et al., 2022. That is to say that in a group That is assessed, 2.78 is the risk compared to the non-fracture group where a hazard ratio would be one or no difference. For reference, smoking confers a hazard ratio of two, somewhere between two and three, for death versus non-smokers. Since bone is laid down during childhood in large volumes, then it is imperative that we maximize this period of bone deposition. Thus, the focus for me always on the pediatric ages. Remember again that a hazard ratio of 2.78 is quite high. Anything at one is really nothing. Anything below one, really hard to even gain any data from. But 2.78 is pretty legit. The critical aspects of growing solid bone are all in place as long as one follows a few simple natural activities. First, it is necessary to move and bear weight to stimulate the bones to lay down more of themselves. This was noted early in medicine as patients that were immobilized from injury in hospitals had significant bone loss and increased with the length of immobility. There are mechanoreceptors in bone that recognize movement and signal bone development or bone loss. We need to move every day. We need to move a lot, at least 5,000 to 10,000 steps a day and often with weight. I would also encourage lightweight lifting or better yet, chores like sweeping the floor, raking leaves, general work around the house for various muscle and bone loading. Second, it is necessary to get adequate micronutrients in one's diet to build the bone from. We primarily need calcium, magnesium, phosphorus, sodium, potassium, vitamin K2, vitamin D and vitamin A. All of these minerals and vitamins except for vitamin D and K2 are easily acquired from a Mediterranean diet that is predominantly vegetarian based. Third, vitamin D is involved in helping the intestines to absorb calcium from the food. It is necessary to get adequate sun exposure daily for vitamin D. Spending time in the sun without sunscreen will stimulate your skin to produce vitamin D. Never burn as that damages the DNA of your skin, causing cancer risk to increase. The darker your skin, the longer you will need to spend in the sun to get the same vitamin D amount. There's a link in the newsletter to more information on micronutrients and vitamin D. Fourth, we must avoid excessive inflammation, which can significantly damage the body's ability to lay down new bone. The major source of inflammation in humans, as especially children, is from a standard American processed food diet. Exposure to toxins is a close second. We know from many different systems in the body that the SAD diet promotes the wrong gut bugs, increasing inflammation, and decreasing the production of insulin-like growth factor 1, which is supposed to increase bone mass. Fifth, vitamin K2 is produced in the body and our gut by the bacteria E. coli, converting K1 and K2, as well as some other conversion occurring in certain tissues. It is also obtained dietarily from animal livers and fermented foods like natto, kimchi, and kombucha. Emerging research is pointing to vitamin K2 as a cofactor in the development of proteins like osteocalcin, which helps to lay down bone, and matrix GLA protein, which helps direct calcium to the bones and away from blood vessels. If you do not consume enough vitamin K or take medicines that block vitamin K like anticoagulants, you are at increased risk for osteoporosis. What are the known risk factors for bone loss and osteopenia? Number one, inactivity or lack of weight bearing movement. Two, poor quality diet that is pro inflammatory. Three, using an acid steroid, anticonvulsant, or anticoagulant medications chronically. Four, micronutrient insufficiency. Five, lack of sun exposure. 6. Thyroid disease 7. Smoking 8. Anorexia and or amenorrhea 9. Low estrogen and testosterone hormones 10. Being female adds a layer of risk 11. Drinking excessive amounts of coffee, tea, and alcohol What would a typical week look like for kids in order to have the beginnings of healthy bones for life? For starters, spending time outside without sunscreen, being sure to avoid burning your skin while working in the yard, doing manual chores like weeding, mowing, raking, as well as general play will go a long way to alleviate the issues from numbers one through five that we just discussed. The added benefit of work teaches them self-esteem and family values. Again, the darker your skin, the longer you'll need to spend time in the sun to get the same vitamin D amount. Sunscreen should be used after a period of time in order to prevent burns and DNA damage that can lead to skin cancer. But natural vitamin D exposure is the way we were supposed to get it from the sun. Next, I would recommend a whole foods diet that maximizes vegetables and fruits in a varied pattern over the next week. It is the best way to get all the major players on the plate broccoli, cauliflower. Dark leafy greens, all berries, beans, nuts, and seeds are valuable for bone health as direct micronutrients and by feeding the microbiome. Some other targeted foods for vitamin K2 could include animal livers and fermented foods like sauerkraut, kimchi, and natto. I personally love Welshire Farms liverwurst from Whole Foods. Make such excuse me. Make sure that your livers, if and when you you choose to consume them are from healthy animals that eat real food and are not pumped full of antibiotics, hormones, and eat junk. See table two in the newsletter for food sources of minerals and vitamins for bone health. Teach your kids the perils of smoking and consuming excessive amounts of alcohol. Do not shame them so much as explain the science behind the risk of these activities. I often talk about how in medicine the cadavers that are used when professors teach anatomy have a common bond. They all have black lungs from smoking. Limit the overconsumption of coffee and tea. One to three cups a day of coffee appears healthy for adults. Overconsumption of these beverages can lead to calcium leaching diuresis. This helps with numbers 7 and 11. Be aware of signs of anorexia or amenorrhea in your teens. Intervene early and aggressively to help mitigate the damage to the body from this terrible mental disorder. Avoid all chemicals where possible as many plastics and chemicals released into society these days have negative effects on our sex hormones. Smoking and drugs like steroids and proton pump inhibitors are known to reduce bone health over time. And finally, a repeat emphasizing the note about vitamin K2 as is near to my heart. Heart disease runs rampant in my family. K2 is a micronutrient that is necessary to tell your calcium molecules to go to the bone to be incorporated there. Without adequate amounts of vitamin K2, the matrix GLA protein does not inhibit calcium from going to the blood vessels instead of bone. We know this again, as cardiologists use calcium coronary artery scores to help understand how much heart disease a human has. So by and large, the answer to all this stuff is love your bones by doing the right things for yourself. Section two, living with disease. I've spent some time recently reflecting on the past 51 years of my life. One thing that hit me hard was the reality that if I was born in the 1930s like my father, I would be blind today. The reason why, I suffered two retinal detachments beginning at age 37 for unknown reasons and a second one occurring following a traumatic soccer ball to the head, specifically my eye, at age 47. Modern surgical ophthalmological techniques allowed a highly competent retinal specialist to repair my vision to 20-20 both times. It is a miracle, in truth. I distinctly remember how the curtain of darkness was dropping over my vision as my retina began to detach. Over a few hours, I had lost 70% of my vision, quite frightening in truth. I could tell you it uh, it was really crazy. Then a period of reality set in as a new norm. My sporting light my sporting life had changed overnight. 44 years of soccer gone in an instant. No chance to try my bucket list adventures like skydiving. There was a period of mourning, but you know, after that, it's life. Can't sit there and dwell on it forever. The new norm is my new reality, and that it's not alterable despite what I really wanted. I think about this from the context of my seat as a physician. My surgeon looked at me and said that this is your new reality, and I am sorry for it. He was caring and real. No bullshit about what is coming and what to expect. No hiding, running away. He was telling me what it was. It wasn't his job to make my sadness or my new norm disappear. This is the truth of delivering medicine at the treatment level, but also at the patient's emotional level. He was there listening to me and in the process of my dealing with it in the moment. He didn't shirk his duties. It makes me think about how I deliver bad news to patients. It needs to be real as children know when we are lying because they see the stress on the parent's face and feel the profound energetic shift that occurs under the stress. Kids are very attuned to parents' energy and mood. They feel very off when a parent is not stable and grounded. Therefore, my job has to be to help the parent ground themselves as well as give the child real and loving truth. This recently happened with a child with new-onset type 1 diabetes. He was quite sick upon presentation. It was clear what he had when I laid eyes upon him and heard two key phrases. He is drinking a lot and he is urinating a lot. The mindset is immediately to provide rapid and effective care, which my staff began when I took the parents into another room to discuss the reality as it appeared. This is a critical time needed for a parent to ground and be ready to provide this child with love and support during this really hard difficult time. How the child hears the reality of their life is also a key. Your body is acting in this way and we are going to help you turn this around. You are safe and protected at this point and my friends at Hospital X are really awesome and ready to help you. The days and weeks that followed will be filled with why me's and what do I do now. We all know what that feels like to some extent. This is a critical time to listen and support. You don't need to fix it for the child. No one could fix my ocular dilemma and no one's going to fix this child's diabetes to go back to pre-diabetes. This is just reality. Do not fall prey to becoming the parent that spoils the child over the coming years out of sadness for their new disease. You still need to be a parent. Love is what they need. This is only going to compound the problem if you fall into that pitfall of feeling sad for them. Kids need, in most, all the time, truth, love, and a normalized parenting belief system. So for me, I recommend that you be the love that they need in the struggle of the pain. Section 3, The Truth About Lying by Victoria Talwar. Quote, because honesty is a foundation for relationships and institutions, we want our children to be honest. We have relationships of trust that we build with our children. When children lie, we can feel indignant, upset, frustrated, angry, and even betrayed. These are natural feelings when we discover someone has lied to us. However, with our children, these feelings can be even more acute and are mixed with concern. Why is my child lying to me? What does this mean about my child? What does it mean about our relationship? What should I do to stop this behavior? For instance, in one study, the researchers found people can commonly cheat, but only a little bit. In that study, adults were given 20 matrix number tasks to solve and then self-report how many they got wrong. The task was difficult, and on running the experiment and checking people's answers, the researchers knew that, on average, people could solve only four of the tasks. However, when people could self-report how many tasks they had solved correctly, the researchers found that the majority of people inflated their score by how much. On average, people reported they had solved two or more matrices than they actually had solved. Notably, they only cheated a little. When the researchers increased the incentive by increasing the amount of money participants could win per solved matrix, they did not see a jump in people's false claims. People still only cheated a little. The researchers suggested that people cheat a little to increase the benefit to themselves, but not too much, so that they maintain the self-concept as being essentially honest. So we may cheat a little bit to benefit ourselves, just up to a limit, that we can tolerate it without making us uncomfortable about ourselves. We like to preserve our feelings about our essential honesty and decency. So if you want more about that, there's going to be coming in some future newsletters, but also in the podcast that was released uh, with Dr. Victoria Talwar, which is number 25. All right, everyone, that's all I have for this week. I hope you have a great day. In the newsletter, there's a recipe for pesto, which is one of our house favorites, love it. Uh, And outside of that, hug those kids. (laughs) Now for the disclaimer. The information provided in this audio newscast newsletter is for educational informational purposes only and is not a substitute for advice and treatment provided by your physician or other healthcare professional and is not to be used to diagnose or treat a health issue, and does not constitute the formation of a provider-patient relationship. Have a great day.